Welcome to the Teaching Classroom 21, a podcast by The Ever Learner. I'm James, your host. Join me and my guests every week as we discuss, debate and explore the features of a world-class classroom in the 21st century. Welcome to the Teacher in Classroom 21 podcast. I'm your host, James Sims, and joining me from Devizes School in deepest Wiltshire is Heather Lane, PE teacher at Devizes School, advocate of teaching and learning, ever-learner pioneer, beach lover, and soon-to-be mum. Heather, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Right, it's a pleasure. You're, you're always welcome. So, Heather, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a very broad question here, and I, I'm kind of intrigued to see what you introduce our audience members to. Some of whom will know a little bit about the Evelyn Classroom, many of whom will have no knowledge of it. Here's my question to you, Heather. Heather, how do you arrange your classroom? I well, I arrange my classroom with different areas. So tables join together for a play area where students can develop their intuition with the topic. A very noisy area, lots of Play-Doh, lots of fun and games happening in that area. We also have a quiet area where students can concentrate a little bit more on exam questions, developing technique and the key terminology related to the topic. We'd also have a terminal area where they would carry out research tasks, they would watch flip learning videos, make excellent notes on those videos, and carry out any uh, quizzes, online quizzes that we might have. And I'd also have a teacher area where I would be based, and students would be able to come to me and showcase any work that they have done. But they would also be able to come to me with any concerns or worries or misunderstandings that they've got in the topic. Wow, well, so that's, that's the classroom. So it's something which is relatively familiar to me, but I think will be new to an awful lot of, of people. Let, let's just let's just take a step back and almost try and visualise that classroom for a moment, Heather. So we've got areas, we've got zones, we're looking at it from a distance. You mentioned there that there's a teacher area, but you said something really fascinated. Students come to you. So interpreting from that description, you didn't include in there something like teacher area where I stand and deliver information. Would that be fair? No, absolutely not. So you, you, you don't need a computer in that classroom. You don't need a, um, a notice board. You don't need a, uh, a PowerPoint slide. You are, you are sat with the students. Um, you are on their level. You would have some whiteboard and resources around you, but very much so. The, the students come to you, um, and it's important. So they come to you for, for things that they're proud of, but also things that they need the help with. And it's up to them when they come to me and how many times they come to me um, and how long they, they spend with me, which obviously you can imagine some students um, choose the latter part of how long they spend with me. <laughs> so let, let me play devil's advocate here. So it isn't, it, couldn't someone say, well, this is a woolly environment. There's no rigor. There's no challenge. How, how, how does rigor and challenge get applied in, in this setting? It's a, it's a very challenging environment in terms of the behaviours that the students develop. It's something that they're definitely not used to. Um, fortunately, um, my class are obviously very used to it now, and 
the behaviours that they've been able to learn from adopting this model in September have been excellent. Um, and I'm only really kind of majorly seeing that, di that difference in their behaviours now when they're doing a controlled assessment task, which obviously relies heavily on independence mm. and especially preparing for exams because they have they really have struggled to adapt and to not have each spoon feeding that information yeah it's really interesting so one of the things for you would, would it be would it be fair to interpret from what I've just heard there that broadly speaking across um, classrooms we, we might in, in sort of modern times have a bit of a tendency to spoon feed information to students but you've gone in the other direction is, is it fair to say that where one of the key objectives is that you want the students to be agents in their work rather than receivers of it absolutely and that really does come down to trust we we trust our students at this point at this point in time is it's a difficult year for everybody with the with exams for you know especially for students and for staff but we we trust them to go home and we trust them to revise so sometimes some, sorry go, go ahead go ahead sometimes i think that's that's overlooked from um a point of the student's life come year seven or at the beginning of that course we've got to give the trust to those students from the moment they enter your classroom and give them the breadth to be able to make decisions and if that decision is a mistake then they need to learn from that mm. How, if, if you as a teacher were to go over to a student and as we all know I mean I don't sound patronizing to any teacher watching we all know that if, if you as a teacher have the answer or you tell them the mistake that they've made of course they're going to listen to you because they've got your respect however the empowerment of being able to learn from that is so minimal as opposed to them learning from their own mistakes. Well, it's, it's, re it's a really fascinating um, description, actually. I, I really find it interesting. One of the things I think teachers who potentially will listen to this might sort of be confused about is where then are students receiving their information from? Where, where's that coming from? So, so Heather's talking to individuals. Heather's supporting people. Students are coming to Heather. Um, how, do, how do students get concept A, B, and C? They get that from all areas within the classroom. And it really comes down to how you plan the worksheets and the support materials in the um, topic that you are creating. Um, and it comes down to creating these resources. So you're going to create a resource that's related to play. And you're looking at the skeletal system, for example. You give them an idea of, for example, there are no 19 bones in the body on the OCR specification that you need to learn. Create a uh, create a Play-Doh model and label as many muscles as you can. Now, I or, or bones, sorry, I think I'll jump from one thing to the other. Um, now, every every student is going to know at least one or two bones or one or two muscles, and that's the start of their knowledge. Okay, sometimes we actually take that away from them that they don't know anything classroom, but they do. And it's been able to use that information that they've got as a starting point and developing it. And the same with the quiet area, creating worksheets with the mind that that student has not done that topic before. Now, they, you need to give them a task, but you also need to give them a starting point. Maybe it's a quote, maybe it's an example, 
for them to be able to think about, for them to be able to develop their knowledge and carry out the tasks that you've asked them to do. And then obviously in the, in the terminal area that, that they're getting some flipped learning resources as well. Heather, you're an expert on this. Pardon? You're an expert on this. It comes across really <laughs> clearly. I mean, you, you've really thought about this. Yeah, absolutely. And that's because I'm so passionate about the, the classroom. You know, obviously, first of all, you know, I'm, passion, I'm a passionate PE teacher. I, I love teaching. I, I took my passion from uh, my, own, my own school days and still playing sport myself. Now, competitively, um, you know, that passion continues. And, mm. you know, I would say to any, any teacher out there that if, you, if you're passionate about the subject, and you're passionate about something like I am about this this classroom, then the students are going to respond to that. We all know that if you're passionate about a sport and you really get enthused behind your lesson and the, and the students, they're going to feed off that. It comes the same from this ethos. Yes, you might be in a classroom, but actually, if you're going into this classroom, 100% believing in it, backing in, believing in your students, regardless of their ability or background, they're going to buy into it just as much as you are. So I, I recorded a, a show with a gentleman. I've literally just posted it. It may well be on iTunes already with a gentleman yesterday called Chris Agron. Chris, very different background to me. He uh, is a minister in the Catholic Church. Uh, he, he has worked in education, in special forces, military services. He's worked all over the world in education. And he said to me a line that comes through, I think, in what you're talking about here. He said to me, I'll try and get his exact words. Anyone can go and listen to it if they want. He's, his exact words were, James, no. Nobody cares what you know, but people want to know that you care. That you care, and that's at the heart of education. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, you've got to. We are all humans. You know, the students are human beings. I think you really need to actually, as a teacher, to show a little bit of uh, a little bit of your life, a little bit of insight to your life. Just be relatively human about things and have general conversations with students because you do need to form that uh, effective positive relationship and mm -hmm. and actually give them a little bit of insight into what you might have done at the weekend we'll go really with them uh, it's it's really it's really interesting as well so so this video thing this flip learning video thing heather um you, you've mentioned terminals area. What what is that? To paint the picture for someone who's never who's never been in a classroom like this. They they've no idea what a terminal space is. They don't know what teaching video tutorials are. What what, what does that mean? Uh, yeah, they are flip learning videos that will go through particular topics related to subjects and different subjects. Obviously, have um, different companies that have created these resources for us. Um, you know, I think I think we know. Obviously, the other learner is 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 coming more popular now. Obviously, with PE, it started as my PE, and, and now you guys have got uh, modern foreign languages on board, and, and hope to, I'm sure, to develop that even further. I know, I know that other subjects, maths and science, have also got these resources available, and I know that the subjects that don't have that available really benefit from from it. But I think it is important to say that the students don't just learn from the terminal space because that is the only interaction of actually somebody explaining the topic. Yeah. They don't just learn from that terminal space. They don't start at the terminal space and you don't have all of your class at this terminal space. In fact, it's important to restrict how many students you have 
I'm sure we'll all know if you book a, if you if you have some computers in your room, all of your class are going to want to go to those computers. So you know, it is important to actually put a little bit of restriction on that just to develop their, their behaviours and skills and planning their time about when to go to these terminal spaces. Heather, I, I'm, I'm tempted to repeat again, you are an expert at this, but let, let me let me play let me play devil's advocate here. Let me let me try and understand this. So students learn from video tutorials. Students learn from worksheets, tasks, play-based experiences. And you're saying potentially all of those can be the first introduction to a topic. Sorry, I missed that last bit. All oh, of so them could be a... All, all of those tasks, whether it's a worksheet, a video tutorial, or uh, a, a, a more of a, a kinesthetic or play-based activity, you're arguing, I believe, that any of those can be the first exposure a learner gets to a new set of ideas. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, because they can complete any task in any order that they would like. One thing I always ask my students is that they just 100% master, understand, learn, whatever word you're going to use, master is, is, is the key one for me, and that's the one that they like to use. They 100% master the task before they complete it and they give themselves a tick on the work, on the core target worksheet. It's really, really, really important that they do that. However, they don't have to keep working at that task the whole lesson they, they can come to me and talk about it they can go back to it a different day but what you'll find is that actually they'll work their way around the room and they'll take little bits of information from all of the different areas and they'll also take information from without you having to prompt and that is what i found actually one of the most powerful tools and the most rewarding experience from me as a teacher is actually listening to their incredibly intelligent conversation that have from from my thoughts have come from nowhere but actually it's just the environment of the classroom that has allowed them to do that well i mean that's a really powerful statement heather i mean i find that really interesting so i think what i interpret from that is by a structural change in how the classroom operates you elicit by the intrinsic nature of those structures a different set of behaviors from the students so I want to touch on this notion of mastery. What what role then, if again, if I'm playing devil's advocate and, and I'm looking at this externally, what role then does something like target grades play in your classroom? Did you say target grades? Target grades, yeah. Target grades. <laughs> Tricky conversation, that one, isn't it, at the moment? Yeah. Uh, with, with, with some, with, with some um, classes and with some students in particular. Obviously, as a, as a teacher, um, my professional um, duty, if you like, school is to make sure that I'm aware of these target grades and that actually students still need to be challenged and students still want to know their target grades and they want to know what to do to get better. Absolutely. And that's still from year seven and that's still beyond, beyond till year 11. Okay, that, That's part of them being inspired part of them making sure that they're making what they know what they need to do to the next level okay um however i expect from every student in my classroom regardless of their target grade i expect 
all, every single one of them to leave the room and fully master and understand the topic and feel confident about it, regardless of their target rate. Wow, Heather. I mean, again, I find that inspirational, Heather. And I, and I am, I believe that that inspiration will not just be shared by me. I, th- I think it's really worth repeating, or at least let me interpret what you've just said there. You said that for every student, regardless of what their statistical target grade is, your ambition for each of those students at the task level is mastery, regardless of what the statistics suggest in that task. And that must be a very empowering position because it must really literally break that glass ceiling, remove that cap, remove those uh, perceived limitations or capping on students. Do you find that, um, do you find that students initially respond well to that initially respond awkwardly to that? Do they, do they become disoriented to begin with? How do they initially respond to that? very, very, very positive uh, expectation of them. They're 100% empowered by it because not categorising the different students into different areas of the room related to their target grade. They are, they are they're not a number. They, they want to be treated the same as everybody else does, how, how we would go through our lives, expecting the same of everybody else. I would want to be treated the same way. Um, as my colleague, for example, who, by the way, is dancing outside trying to put me off. <laughs> <laughs> who is who is this person? May we may we give them a shout out on here? Uh, that is Ali Lund. Who uh, uh, he, Ali he Lund? Uh, and because of the sun, his face is a little red at the moment. So uh, I, just just to get him back there. <laughs> I, I believe I've spoken to Ali on the phone before on one occasion, possibly two. Oh, okay. Yes. No, he has spoken about you as well. So, um, yeah, that goes no further, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Understood. Okay. I want to change tax here a little bit. Um, Heather, tell me what one of the things that I I think is really interesting coming up in your life is you've clearly got this very, very, very inspirational, positive and developmental professional perspective on what is happening in your classrooms what is happening with each students what you want to achieve but also but 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 now in your personal life things are changing a little bit you're entering the period of your life and and, and this summer you're going to have your first experience of maternity um how how do you how do you how do you see that balance how do you see that balance between being clearly what you are which is an inspirational professional and i'm sure what you'll be which is an inspirational parent i mean how how do you see the months and years to come what what, what what's exciting for you and what scares you um oh god what scares me <laughs> all of the, all anything to do with babies <laughs> <laughs> but um no i think and even before um you know me and my husband found out we were having a child even so, yes, obviously, you know, I, I love my job, absolutely, 100%. I'm in the very um, rewarding position that I do love my job, but he does. You know, my husband, for example, does not like his job as much as I do. Um, but I've always been clear with, with my work-life balance as well. Um, yes, I put 100% into my work, um, and it took me my NQT to figure out what the work-life balance was. And I hope to continue with that. Um, but then, to be honest, sometimes, and I'm sure you will be able to relate to this 
feeling with me is that this year I've put in a, a, a lot of work, I believe, to um, challenge myself as a professional because I, I want to be a head of department. I need to be a head of department. Uh, now that, you know, I've got definitely got very itchy professional feet. Um, and the fact that I am going on maternity um, come end of July, September, that I feel that actually that's going to set me back a year. And that's that interesting. I won't get that head of department job as as um, as quickly as I wanted. However, um, personally, it's going to be a different challenge. And I'm sure many people will tell me that my priorities will change. Um, and I know my priorities will change, but I still know that the fact that I still love my job and I still have aspirations to be a head of department. And I 100% will be at the point. I'm just... Um, I think I think it's interesting what you said there so your your perception at this point is that potentially uh first of all actually I want to I'm very interesting I'm very interested around the wording I don't know how symbolic it is but I'm very interested in the wording of going on maternity it sounds like we Mm -hmm. say you we use the same language for going on holiday for example when I think the experience is quite different, you know? Yeah, that's what I've heard. I mean, I keep making jokes in the office because they just think I'm going to be in a coffee shop every day. Um, <laughs> even there, and they've got children, can you believe it or not? Um, and obviously, it'll be a lot to get my head around in terms of looking after a child. I'm sure it'll be a very um, challenging job than being a teacher. Um, but actually, I'm looking forward to the point where it will... Um, help me with my teaching and maybe my help me with parenthood hopefully yeah i i would that would certainly be my interpretation as well and i think that is a very healthy uh, perspective regarding that myself and mike were we recorded a show yesterday and although we're uh, you know we're, we're two males discussing the concept of maternity one of the things um that we one of the things that we were discussing in in that show is that it's very interesting I think in the modern era for a, a for for a professional woman to uh, go through the to experience to have the maternity experience and then to have the different pressures that the modern era presents in terms of what is expected of that person at that time i think we could all agree that 20 to 25 years ago the expectation was to that the, the mother side came first do you perceive today that the the professional side i mean you're someone who's entering this period of your life do you perceive around you not necessarily from your own opinions but do you perceive around you that the expectation is more or that the 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 waiting is more on the professional side or do you or do you feel it's it, it's equally valued and and whichever direction you take would be equally respected in terms of you mean how long i would take for maternity leave or i mean do you do you feel that i i'm I, and this this may be i i'm not sure that if this is a fair question but it, it for me i'm very interested in finding out do do women today or, or does a woman who who is um, spending some time away from work to to have a child? Do, do women today feel that they have a complete open choice about, you know, I'm going to work this much at this time, or I want to be a mum for the next however long? Do you feel that that is an open choice? I, it's very difficult. I, I believe it's an open choice. In my 
um, position because mm-hmm. um, you know my I've, I've got an incredibly husband who is definitely a lot more maternal and gooey than I am. Um, and hopefully, you know, I will get that good uh, babies once my baby arrives. Um, but you know, I, I'm lucky in the fact that he would share the maternity leave with me, um, and he wants to go part time when I go back to work because he wants some time with the baby. And absolutely, it's both of our both of our child. Um, and you know, I suspect he's probably more capable than me in looking after the baby at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've no doubt you'll, you'll both play to different strengths. One, one of the things that I think is really, really interesting um, from parent, from the parental perspective, this has been my experience as well, is that two two parents who are quite different are actually very often very effective. And the reason I think that works is because it, it's like two teachers who are operating two classes or work in the same classroom. You can feed off one another's strengths and you can continue to learn from each other. I would imagine that two parents who are very, very, very similar in terms of their skills and the behavioral sets actually might suffer a little, not suffer might be the wrong word, but they'd have far fewer skills to learn from one another. So I think that appears at least to be a strength if you perceive that you're both quite different within that a newly parenting environment, it may be that you can both bring different strengths to it and learn a great deal from each other. Hopefully. Maybe I'll I'll give you a call two months after the birth and let you know how it's gone. <laughs> well, I, I will definitely. It, it depends on the nature of what that question is. If uh, I, I, I don't know if this will happen with you, uh, Heather, and my, my children are uh, 13 and 10. And I, I remember very, very little about the experience of them being very, very young. I can remember the feelings, but I don't remember the processes. I don't remember the work. I don't really remember the nappies. I remember a bit about the feeding, but it, it's really diluted in my mind. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, a fluid. It's there, but I can't grasp a particular memory, if you see what I mean. So I would definitely encourage any uh, new new parents to take lots of video take lots of photos obviously be be careful where you put them but take lots of those things as memory joggers because it's something i regret a little bit is that because of uh, sleep deprivation or the lack of technology when you were (laughs) (laughs) it's it's definitely technologically easier now with with photos and videos we we didn't suffer a lot with um with sleep deprivation we there was a little bit at the start feeding during the night was probably the most time i remember feed i remember i was on a feed at four o'clock in the morning in the early days um but so so i was tired in that moment but i was still getting six hours sleep a night something like that you know so it wasn't it wasn't too bad i i i'm it might just be my decaying mind which is very possible um but i also think there's a normality to that where the 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 vast number of things that you do as a parent especially to young children is it it it, it kind of merges into an overall oneness or, or, or an overall experience now i can't say it's the same for anyone else but for me that's really it's really telling if if i think about my memories of other parts of my life they're much sharper they're much they're much more clear they're much more clear so i think in this case there's sort of a normality to it that you somehow your experiences maybe it's because it's repetitive a lot of the time as well in the early stage that 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 repetitive behavior becomes it merges into one another so yeah i would i would definitely recommend some um some 
well strategized video uh, production unit or something like that. <laughs> so okay, definitely. Well, yeah, I'll take your advice on that one. <laughs> I, I, it, this may be me. This may just be me. So um, Heather, I want to I want to sort of ask you something that we often ask guests on the show. I'd like you to I'd like you to reflect on either your education. Um, as a student, as a child going through school and, and, and beyond, or it could be more recently, I'd like you to describe to the listeners a teacher that you've experienced whose classroom you would have either literally or metaphorically run to. And I'd like you to also tell us about a teacher that, whose classroom you're always happy to leave. What, what springs to mind when I ask you that? Oh, dear. do you know what? It's, uh, maybe it is as a P teacher. I just want to reflect back to obviously um, the teachers that I have at school because I think, you know, a lot of us as teachers have positive role models from our school. Uh, maybe the reason, one of the reasons why we became teachers. And, you know, certainly I can reflect back on the teachers that I have. And the one that um, I'll start with the, the positive, um, obviously my PE teacher, um, Miss Hannaford, um, then she went to Mrs. Hughes, I believe, when she got married. And um, she was a love, lovely lady, always really enthusiastic and always caught you being good, always caught you doing something that impressed her. Um, sometimes, actually, she made me feel like she was quite a nervous child. Um, and definitely not very outgoing at all. And I was something, something changed adolescence probably and teenage, teenager hormones. But yeah, I was a very quiet and um, you know I did actually play lots of team sports and lots of individual sports. And she would sometimes actually make me feel because of how um, how I would do a certain skill. She'd make me demonstrate, and uh, she would say something very positive towards me. And although I felt embarrassed at the time. Actually, now I know that she put me in that position, put me outside of my comfort zone, and that's how I believe I became somebody that was outgoing and confident and was independent and speaks my mind, but um, refrains from doing it if I'm going to offend anybody, etc. Um, so I believe she, you know, she really developed me as a person, um, but through the passion that she shared for that subject. Um, that's what I believe is important really to do nowadays is to actually, as a, as a, um, as a professional, but for your students to put them outside of their comfort zone and to, and to challenge their own behaviours and their skills. A letter I would run away from, um, but actually probably wouldn't run away because I'd be so bored I'd fall asleep, would be any <laughs> a history lesson that I was uh, part of when I was... Um, when I was growing up, and I didn't take it as a city. I took geography because I found it so boring. And that was with the teacher standing at the front reading or what, listing off um, dates that you would have to remember, and you know, just absolutely not engaging at all. However, I history how it is delivered today, and especially in this school, a very, very popular subject and a very engaging subject. So, show what the teacher the passion that teacher shows and the provision and the resources that that teacher has will massively impact the passion that they can deliver for their subjects. It's a, it's a great, it's a great answer, Heather. One of, one of the things we're really noticing when we ask that question to people is that 
we, I mean, we literally haven't yet had somebody who said to us, the teacher, you know, the teacher I loved was um, this great explainer of something or this teacher who, who had the best worksheets or this, we, we always get, people always describe a feeling that was created, um, that they felt understood, they felt cared for, they felt challenged, they felt listened to. It's this, it's actually, it's becoming fairly clear from that question and the responses we get to it, that, that teaching is a behavioral set, which has very little to do with knowledge delivery. Um, and I find that a really, I find that a really fascinating, I find that a really fascinating thing. And I, re, I relate back to what Chris told me yesterday again, that nobody cares what you know, but people want to know that you care. And I think what you've just described with, uh, was it Miss Hannaford and Mrs. Hughes, same person, right? So when she got married, it, it seems like that thing. She recognized yeah. you as an individual. And, and as you said, got you out of that comfort zone because she felt it was good for you as a person. Absolutely. And I think this, this nicely relates to something her teacher said in our briefing this morning. Um, whilst we were having a, a little bit of a wrap up of, uh, on Twitter, what happened this week? But he put a picture up of a, um, a rock star with his hands either side and his arms stretched out wide, walking into a room like a rock star. And actually, as a teacher, that's, if, you, if you walked into a room like a rock star, those students are going to be all eyes on you, 100% gleaming, beaming from ear to ear, and will enjoy that lesson. So today, I definitely try to walk into my every classroom like a rock star. Wow, walk, walk in like a rock star. I'm definitely nicking that. Okay, so Heather, a challenging question here for you. So I'd like you to project forward, and I, I guess you may be doing this quite a lot at the moment with you know, parenthood looming and so on. I'd like you to project forward five years, and I'd like you to share with us one thing in your life, it could be professional, it could be personal, but one thing in your life that you are determined that you are going to be doing in exactly the same way. And I'd also like you to tell us one thing in your life, personal or professional, that you're determined you're going to be doing differently. What would they be? The main thing that I want to make sure that I'm doing in five years' time professionally is 100% remain focused on what is important to students as opposed to the end results. That is um, a value that is 100% what I believe in. It's why I got into teaching. It's why I will continue teaching for as many years as my body will allow to physically under, <laughs> under the subject of PE. But I believe that, that it is important. It is for students. And there's so many other things, so many variables that could put you off the profession. Other teachers put you off the profession. Um, people often ask, often say, oh, it's not what it used to be. Um, you know, we blame SLT for decisions, we blame the government, um, you know, and I'm not saying that every decision is right or that what the government have decided is right, but if you just keep the student focus centred within your practice, within my practice, um, I will always remember, I will always go on that and uh, I won't just moan about things, I'll do something about it and it's always because of the students. Um, what about the one thing that you're determined to change? A tough one. Determined to change. I would, and I, th I mean, this is this is quite um, broad sense, and maybe it's a little bit too aspirational. But I would love to change 
the fact that some teachers don't feel confident to try new approaches like this other learner classroom and I would love to change and shape education to making it 100% student focused and 100% with taking their own responsibility for their learning and that, that's quite a, pro, a big um, kind of task or, or aim if you like is to is to shape education in that way but why not? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think it's fascinating what you said there. I take the first point in terms of what, you, what you're determined to continue doing there. For me, I, I'm actually studying at the moment, and one of the features of the course that I'm studying is about the nature of extreme accountability. It's like, you know, it, it, it's taking full ownership of uh, what Ryan, you saying there that, okay, so maybe the policy is wrong sometimes. Maybe the politician gets it right. Maybe the SLT member... Um, asks you to do something where maybe it's not as valuable as something else. Um, but the, the extreme accountability mold is that you take full and total ownership of the output of your work, your experience, your, your contribution. And I take a lot from that about what you just said there, that no matter what, you are going to keep the student at the heart of your educational value system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the main things that kind of um, that does actually challenge that at the moment is the end results mm. and uh, the priorities and the, and the stress you know, that the, the government and you know other sectors are putting on head teachers and schools to to reach certain levels with a new program. But actually, I so I really strongly believe that if you want those end results, then you need to prioritise the teacher and learning model schools. And trust your teachers who are passionate to make decisions, whether they're right or wrong. Give them the space to try the, this model um, and always look at the why. Why are you doing that? Why is it important? Is it for the student? How is it for the student? Don't just look at that. Just think about a bottom-up approach about how you're actually going to get that end result by changing any of the, any of the policies or teaching and learning priorities in your school. Right. It, it's fascinating, Heather. And a thing I would say to you, and look, it's not, it's not my place to, um, to try and plan any kind of future for you. That's obviously entirely down to you. But one, one of the things that I think that you might be interested to hear as a bit of feedback is that I think a lot of people will hear what you've just said and they won't think I'd like that person as a colleague. I think a lot of people will hear that and then they'll think, I'd like that person as my head teacher. How would you respond to oh. that? <laughs> um, I look at every, I look at year within year. So I think when I started as an NQT, I never thought that I would have the um, aspiration, not really the aspirations, or maybe the time to become a head of department. But two years into actually the year, it didn't last very long actually, because the year of my NQT year, I took on responsibility of a primary school program, which I really love and um, have passion on changing the teaching and learning within primary schools as well. So um, I think it develops in time. I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm, honestly, I'm not somebody that would say, yeah, I want to be a head teacher within 10 years. I'm not. At the moment, I would say I don't want to be a head teacher because I, I love my life outside of school. I love my husband, I love my baby, and I love playing sport. Now, head teachers might tell me, oh, you can do all of that as well. Um, and maybe I'll come to the point where I do want to be a head teacher. But actually, at the moment, I'm just focusing on um, 
getting through the next two months actually uh, pregnant PE teacher uh, but but also reach the next level in my career so I just look at that next step and and people might might find that surprising that I'm not as aspirational to, to reach that end goal but I think I, you need to be well and make sure that you're enjoying that next step before you challenge yourself any further yeah and I think I think the model you've just described there is being committed to the process that you're involved in now not looking too far ahead there's always that model of I want that thing in a set period of time lots of people succeed in getting that thing but lose a lot of other things in the process and on the journey to get there and I think what you're describing there is that you are savoring each step of the process and wherever those steps take you you're going to make sure that you enjoy them and benefit from them as well Oh, absolutely. I mean, how is it to enjoy, enjoy your job? You're here, your job takes up a majority of your life. And at the moment, I thoroughly enjoy my job and I want to make sure that I continue with that. And what, one thing that I am aspirational for, because I've always thought in terms of, um, does PE teaching have a shelf life on it? Um, in terms of your physical capabilities, you know, and I look at, at some PE teachers around me and I think, yes, it does. And I look at others and I think, wow, that's amazing. You're, you're still open-minded. You're still trying new things and you're in your last year of teaching and that's, you know, credit to those to do that. Um, but I don't ever want to lose sight of what's important. And I think if I did lose sight of what's important, I would always love to um, teach other teachers um, I had a really inspirational lady called Jo Shire at the University of Gloucester who was really inspirational in my um, teacher training. And um, she's somebody I always actually, you know, really respected and looked up to. So maybe that's, maybe that's a route I can take in the future as well. Well, Heather, as, as the bell rings, that kind of, uh, it, 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 it sort of predicates the end of our show as well. Heather, I, I think what I'd summarise with there is I think I think you shared a, a a a true and clear value system at the heart of how you do your job, and I and I have to add as well, Heather, it is heartwarming to listen to a colleague to share a conversation with somebody who in education today is clearly enjoying their role and and loving their teaching experience so far. I think you probably already know that that is an experience which is not completely consistent right at this very moment and I really do tip my hat yeah. to you as someone who has maintained a cornerstone of value and clarity in how you approach your classes and your students yeah absolutely and, and I hope that has come across that you know I, I mean I've said it many times that I love my job but one of the things that makes this job so important actually regains my focus on a regular basis is spending time with students on the sports field it's one thing that in within PE as a subject is so important I think if I didn't have that or if that was focused in my faculty or wasn't well um, received as a school or um, well showcased then I would I would struggle with that and you know actually this week our students have been incredibly successful we got lots of medals winning the counterpart um, and it's those experiences that really bring it home as to why you became a teacher in the first place and what actually drives you forward and keeps you going within this particular stressful time. 
Well, it, it's it's heartwarming stuff, Heather. It really is, and I, I've got to say, I, I haven't been to Devizes School, but I'm really determined to get along at some point. You're clearly doing really good work there. It's clearly the case as well that there's a real positive atmosphere, a supportive um, and developmental experience taking place there at the school. And, and again, I tip I tip my hat. Uh, to that as well, which which is great. To, it's great to hear. So, from the listeners of uh, the Classroom Twenty One podcast, just a massive thank you to you, Heather. We definitely would like to get you back on again, and we wish you the very best for the evening. Thank you ever so much for taking part. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Pleasure. All right. Look after yourself. Take care.